to C.A.R. Legal Bedtime Stories. I'm your host, Neil Kalin. Today's story is titled, The Case of the Missing Penny. Joining me today as guest narrators will be C.A.R. attorneys Dana Spears and Jana Gardner. Dana and Jana are co-hosts of C.A.R.'s Legal Matters podcast, and if you've not had a chance to listen to them before, you really should make the time to do so. They present legal issues clearly, concisely, and without legalese. And if I can borrow and slightly alter a phrase from Bill and Ted, they are excellent with each other. It is such a pleasure for me to have them both on this Bedtime Stories podcast. Let's get right into it, shall we? Before he bought rental property, Landlord Neil was in the tool and fastener manufacturing business. Hammers, nails, buttons, clips, zippers, and screws. Lots of screws. Phillips head screws, flat head screws, ratchet head screws, wood screws, metal screws, plaster screws, two inch screws, one inch screws, three quarter inch screws, and everything in between and nearby, that kind of thing. It was not surprising that he acquired the nickname Screws, because Neil was known to be a little tight with his money. Gradually, over the years, his nickname morphed from Screws into Scrooge. As with his business, Neil pinched pennies with his rental property. Naturally, he wouldn't hire a property manager, preferring to save the money and manage his rentals himself. This, well, Scrooge-like approach to rental property ownership created tension with many of his tenants, and one tenant in particular, Bob Scratchit. Bob wasn't particularly likable himself, as he was a stickler and a nitpicker, insisting that Scrooge, uh, um, Neo, attend to every detail and defect in the property, no matter how minor or what time of the day. When Bob complained about the faulty electrical system, Neil showed up only to discover Bob's light bulbs had burned out. When Bob complained about the disposal, Neil showed up to find banana peel fragments clogging up the inside. Bob, chewing on the fruit, insisted he did not know what Neil was talking about. I didn't do it, he mumbled with his mouth full. When Bob complained about the toilet, Neil discovered it was just clogged, and he took care of the problem with a plunger. Bob said that he knew his rights. He paid his rent on time, most of the time anyway, and he wanted what was best for him and his wife and son, Tiny Tom. Of course, Neil was no saint himself, always buying the cheapest products and supplies. The remnant carpet became threadbare in no time, The windows rattled in the wind. Since Neil paid for gas, the setting on the hot water heater was set so low that Bob and his family had to take timed showers to avoid freezing. And the thermostat was set so low that an extra blanket was needed on those frigid 60-degree Southern California nights. Burr. Neil hated Bob, and the feeling was mutual. Bob lived in the rent control department for years before Neil acquired the property and his current rent was a meager $507.61, 
comprised of base rent of $504 and allowable city pass-through fee of $3.61. On the day rent was due, Bob left a personal check for Neil for $507.60. Neil, thinking, I got you now, returned the check and simultaneously issued a three-day notice to pay rent or quit for the full $507.61. When Bob did not pay within the three days, Neil started an eviction. Finally, I am rid of you forever, Neil said to himself with glee, followed by his trademark evil laugh. (laughs) After the three days had lapsed, Bob finally gave Neil a check for the full amount of rent, plus another for the late fee called for in the lease, begging Neil to let him and his family stay. The rent is too high wherever I look. My wife is pregnant and my son is sick. Have mercy on us all, Bob pleaded. Scrooge, um, Neil, sensing victory, refused both checks. Boo-hoo! Neil guffawed. Get out and take your wife and sick child with you. Bob having nowhere to go, and no money to spare, did not leave. Instead, he found a legal aid attorney and contested the eviction on multiple grounds, including full tender of rent, retaliatory eviction, and breach of the covenant of good faith. After trial, the jury found that, (laughs) excuse the double negative, the tenant did not fail to pay. Why such an odd choice of words? The jury was just answering a standard court form that asked if the tenant failed to pay rent. The answer was no, meaning yes, the tenant paid rent. Neil appealed. The appellate court held that although there was not a tender of the full rent, either before or during the three-day notice period, an eviction action is a legal action for possession of property and therefore an equitable proceeding. A landlord who uses a de minimis failure in rent as a pretext to evict a tenant is himself subject to a tenant's defense to the unlawful detainer action that the landlord has acted in bad faith. The case was sent back to the lower court for a new trial consistent with this rule. Having spent probably thousands of dollars over a one cent dispute, one can imagine that Neil's evil laugh had turned into a muffled, anguished, bitter groan. <laughs> As we have said before in legal tales, sorry, Neil. Better luck next time. So what is the legal principle here, and how might it be applied on other cases? In the case of the missing penny, the property owner was not entitled to take advantage of a minor and presumably innocent mistake made by the tenant in tendering rent. Maybe that seems like the fair result in this case, especially since the tenant was only a penny short and tendered the rent in full, albeit a little late. But if the tables were turned, would the courts be so understanding of a minor error by the property owner? In many California court jurisdictions, there is zero tolerance for an equally inconsequential error made by a property owner in preparing eviction notices served on tenants. For example, in the 1985 appellate case of Norof Chan versus Minor, the court threw out an unlawful detainer where the landlord overstated the rent due by $5.96, about one half of 1% of the past due amount. 
a landlord who has spent hundreds or thousands of dollars and countless hours serving a tenant, working with counsel, and preparing for the potential return of possession of the property can find the entire proceeding thrown out of court for a minor error and be instructed to restart the process and incur those same costs all over again. And while it's easy to argue that a one-cent differential between what was owed and what was offered as payment is minimal, what if the difference were $1 or $10 or $100? What if the tenant purposefully only offered $504? Is $3.61 barely six-tenths of 1% de minimis compared to the total rent amount of over $500, even though the city specifically allows the owner to charge a pass-through? And if the tenant can pay more than three days late, why not 10 days, or 15, or 30? After all, who determines the amount due and the due date, the landlord or the tenant? In this case, the eviction was thrown out, but the tenant was not relieved of the obligation to pay rent. But if an owner cannot evict for a de minimis shortfall, what is the owner's remedy? Presumably, the owner can sue in court, probably small claims court, for the underpayment. Oh, sure. Who's going to pay the filing fee, the service fee, and then spend half a day or more in small claims court, only to be told by the judge and the court clerk to go out in the hallway and try to settle the case? A remedy in theory is not much of a remedy in practice. The California court said as much in the case I mentioned, North Chan versus Minor, where its opinion stated, the landlord is limited to collecting such rent in an ordinary breach of contract action with all of the delays that remedy normally involves and without restitution of the demised property. Although not stated explicitly, the case of the missing penny was undoubtedly influenced by the hostile relationship between a landlord and tenant and the juries and court of appeals justices' perception of who was right and who was wrong. And yes, there are tenants who take no responsibility for upkeep of the premises being rented, are habitually late with rent, and otherwise disregard their obligations under a lease or rental. But there are also irresponsible landlords who wrongly believe their responsibility for residential properties begins and ends with finding of a tenant. Housing providers need to be conscious of the fact that judges, appellate justices, and jury members do not like forfeitures and being people want to see others acting responsibly. The desire to do justice and what is fair are important factors that need to be taken into account regardless of what the letter of the law may say. If it is not already, California may soon be a tenant majority state. That needs to be taken into consideration as well. The case of the missing penny is loosely based upon and inspired by the real life 2019 case of J.S. Bawa versus David Terhune, 33 Calap 5th Sup 1, which was an appellate division case from the Los Angeles County Superior Court. Thank you for joining us for this December edition of CAR Legal Bedtime Stories. If you like what you hear in these Bedtime Stories podcasts, please tell your fellow realtors. Of course, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings really help other people find the show. Thank you again to Dana and Jana for lending their voices to our bedtime story. Join me again next month when we talk about the case of the construction project. In the meantime, remember our motto here at CAR Legal Bedtime Stories? Stay tuned, stay out of trouble, and sleep well at night.